eight things you can do to improve cognition, cognitive function, intelligence. And we just touched on one we'll start with, and that's exercise. Uh, if you've watched this channel at all, you know that I'm a big advocate of it. I don't really take many excuses from people that they don't move enough. Uh, I coax people into using everything from home exercise devices to eye exercises. I'm convinced from looking at the 165,000 years that we've been on this planet that we were extremely physical and that was tied into uh, health in a way that uh, right now uh, people tend not to do. I have in my practice overdone and underdone physical specimens walking in every day, right? People that are trying to uh, win a CrossFit championship and the next guys, you know, just trying to you know, figure out how he can make it up the stairs. So I try to coach them into the right direction, some normality and uh, exercise is important. In 2014, they came up with a study in comprehensive psychology where they performed brain images on people at rest and at exercise. And, you know, you can imagine that blood is being pushed into the brain when we exercise. Our pressure goes up a little bit. Our heart rate goes up a lot. Um, we're, we're breathing at a higher rate. So there's nothing real special about that. But they wanted to look at where does it go in the brain? It turns out it goes to areas that we're using, of course, for moving our arms and legs. The part of our brain that's so called the motor cortex is going to be activated and be able to show up on there. But what they didn't expect and what they were hoping to find, and they did find, was that some of the areas of higher processing were actually being stimulated as well. And it wasn't something that people were actually necessarily using to do the exercise. It wasn't even a complicated series of movements, but they were pushing blood to areas that made them, in a sense, smarter and improve their memory. And I thought, well, there it is, right? We have images now uh, in, back in 2014 that prove that. Um, they also found that when they looked at uh, neuroplasticity or the concept where we can um, alter our DNA, that was also happening with exercises. We were stimulating a brain in a way without even thinking, just through exercise, um, laying down new pathways and altering the DNA of our neurology, which is, you know, pretty cutting edge and pretty exciting. There's a lot of stuff on neuroplasticity and epigenetics that uh, I've talked about earlier, but those are two terms you should get familiar with. Um, but even more interesting, uh, they found that certain exercises improve certain parts of the brain. Now, if you want to improve your memory, sprints were the best things. So doing something at the high end of aerobics, and it doesn't have to be running as fast as you can. It could be pedaling on a bike really fast, swing really hard, but kind of like an interval thing where you're really, really pushing your upper limit. And of course, consult the doctor before you jump into doing this stuff if you're not too familiar with it. We don't want somebody hurting themselves. So, uh, you know, always check with that. But you want to make sure that you're at the high end of aerobics to improve memory. Um, for decision-making, basically sweating. They found that exercises that uh, detoxified you um, and, and help you relax. So exercises that make you sweat, hot environments, whether it be hot yoga or a sauna, but doing some kind of exercise that you're actually making sure you're perspiring or you're using the skin. Uh, for focus, it was resistance training. So resistance training for people that don't use that term is lifting heavy weight. So it's, it doesn't have to be heavy, but it's lifting weight for sure. Um, that seemed to improve people's ability to simply focus. Um, mental processing, the ability to use different parts of the brain and coordinate them, uh, yoga was the best for that. Uh, and you can imagine, right? You're in a relaxed state, um, but you're using and straining the body and deep breathing. You're actually a process uh, more complex uh, concepts in your head, which is certainly a measurement of intelligence. Um, and for mental endurance, a lot of times we lose our intellect as the day goes by. People are grabbing energy drinks, caffeinated beverages, 
you know, uh, falling asleep in their chair after lunch, that kind of thing. Um, endurance exercises improve that. So if you want brain endurance, you need body endurance because to some degree it's the same kind of thing. So when we're doing exercises, we, we take the weakest part of your brain. If you think, God, my memory's terrible, you're going to sprint. Uh, I can't make a decision to save my life. Start sweating. If you can't seem to focus on anything, you start doing resistance training. You can't process things. You just can't keep up. You can't seem to calculate properly. Yoga. And if you want a brain that's going to endure the day and be just as energetic at 6.30 as it was at 6.30 in the morning, um, endurance exercise. Okay? Okay, that's number one. Number two, games and puzzles. Um, you know, the brain needs to be stimulated. It, and they use the analogy that the brain is a muscle, and we don't use it it gets weak. I was talking about somebody with the immune system the other day and the concept of um, herd immunity, of course, as well as um, the hygiene hypothesis and all this other stuff. And um, it really was an eye-opener for this individual because there's a person that's basically hiding from every bacteria and virus in the world. And I said, you know, you're going to get weak if you don't exercise that immune system. And there's certain things we obviously don't want to introduce into our bodies. We wouldn't want to get Ebola or rabies. But uh, at the same time, you, if you sterilize your environment and your immune system doesn't have anything to do and it tends to attack yourself, and then you have an autoimmune disease, and then you're really in trouble. So challenging the brain and challenging different parts of Fun. Uh, I'm a big puzzle person per se, the actual puzzle, but I do like to solve uh, problems and create and uh, fix things and do things that are complex. I like to challenge myself in those ways. But the game itself, they did a study um, simply on Tetris, you know, old fashioned computer game where you have the little um, shapes are coming down to get a turn and fit them in. I don't know if the young people out there even know what that is, but we used to play that back uh, back in the Stone Ages. And um, that was able to improve brain function. So a simple game like that. Um, so get involved in doing stuff that's challenging and different in a game scenario. Computer games do fit into there. Um, if you're just playing kill and zombies, obviously you can imagine that doesn't really do much. But if you're solving more complex issues, um, my daughter, who's uh, turned out to be very bright for probably a lot of reasons, we used to play 3D Dinosaur Adventure from Scholastic. Uh, amazing game. It used to challenge her and have fun at the same time. And in the end, you got to hatch baby dinosaurs, which you can imagine uh, how an eight-year-old feels about that. She was just thrilled to hatch little baby dinosaurs. But you had to earn the eggs and the hatching crystals by playing the game. 3D Dinosaur Adventure. Simple as a CD back then. I'm sure you can find it in uh, other ways as well. Uh, so that's number two, games puzzle. Number three, stop using your cell phone. I mentioned earlier that patient and I struggled to use our actual brains instead of the one in our hand, uh, to find out who that actor was we couldn't uh, bring to mind. So when, you, when you're faced with something and you want to look it up on your phone, spend a little bit of time trying to figure it out. You know, the, the brain is hooked up that if you, it, it's hooked up in connections. So if I'm trying to think of an actor, I might want to name all the movies, maybe even out loud, that I think that person's in, then all of a sudden, one of those movies will be connected to that person's name and it'll pop up. And I've just you know, reawoken a neural pathway uh, re rebuilt and restructured one that was uh, getting a little rusty. So, you know, use, use devices less is, what, is simply what they're saying. Um, number four, meditation and mindfulness. Now, those two terms are getting interchangeable right now, you know, the mindfulness idea. Uh, but basically that calming, uh, to 
calming state where we're spending a little bit of time with with deep breath and and uh, and sort of like zoning out. You know, some people are you know natural daydreamers, and uh, it's easy for them to get into a meditative state. Other people, it's an actual job. I've sent people with anxiety to meditation classes, and wow, they came back uh, either majorly altered in a good way, or they just blew up because they couldn't sit that still. But getting doing some basic meditation, start with something really simple. I used to just close my eyes and just count backwards from 50 um, and try to get all the way there without too many thoughts coming in my head. Uh, it, it's really not that difficult to do, but you know, there's so many great YouTube videos on meditation, singing bowls, sounds, you know, music that'll get you there. But um, that's another thing that's going to give the mind sort of a rest. We want to work it and we want to rest it. Um, just like a muscle, we, we work with weights and, and then we uh, go to bed and we sleep and it repairs itself and it's stronger in the morning. So we also need that shutting off and sometimes sleep. We're actually still dreaming and our brain is still moving. So meditation has a different uh, brain wave. You can look in the alpha theta wave of the brain uh, when, it's on, when it's in different states of uh, sort of consciousness. Uh, number five, starve the brain. Now, I thought this was interesting. Uh, I got into this with a, a couple of other uh, uh, friends of mine that are into uh, personal training about um, intermittent fasting. Now, um, I know a few, fair amount of people that do this. I've never been a big intermittent faster, um, but I, I've done it mildly. I've done outright fasts, but I've, uh, the, the idea of not eating for about 16 hours. So you don't eat too close to bed, and then you wake up in the morning, and you, you blow off breakfast, and then you eat later in the day. Um, so you just measure out about 16 hours, including your sleep time to make it easier. Uh, and you don't eat. So what they're found is that, you know, the brain gets a little faster and smarter. And think how this would be tied into survival. If you were hungry, I think you'd have to be, a, maybe it's, maybe you're hungry because you're not too smart yet. And then you're going to get smarter and find food, right? Because that wasn't easy. So for thousands of years, we were hungry and we got a little more energy and we decided to go out and get food. Now there's a point, and if you're diabetic, obviously you don't do this kind of stuff, but there's a point where you get so hungry, then obviously you become a little bit fuzzy. That isn't good, but that's why it's intermittent fasting and not, we're not telling you to fast for seven days. We're telling you to, for 16 hours. It allows the bloodstream to get very cleaned up. All the glucose and other nutrients that are floating in your blood, um, that you can bring them down to a reasonable level. And that uh, enters, it gives you mind clarity. And they found that the brain was actually quicker quicker rebuilding itself during intermittent fasting. I had, I did have a patient with a significant car accident that tried this and really felt it helped her cognitively. She had you know, a lot of different things uh, in her body that were damaged, disc herniations and nerve pressure um, in her arms and her legs, but her cognitive ability was really affected at first. And I told her about this and she um, did it very safely and quietly and slowly and said she's really, really got into it and she's become an intermittent faster now. So. Yeah, she's used it for a lot of different ways. Uh, number six, keeping a journal. Now, when we write and we read and we speak, we're using different parts of our brain. That's why conversation and listening are important. That's different parts, as well as being able to write. And um, it's, it's important that when you write your journal, you may want to do it a couple of different ways. It doesn't have to be real positive. You know how country music is. You can get it out um, and say what you want. Or you can write down stuff that's very empowering. That isn't really what I'm talking about right now. What I'm really talking about is just simply organizing your thoughts, getting them on paper, a journal, a diary. Uh, you can give it all different names. But what it is is the ability to write down what you're thinking. And then when you read it, 
it goes back in the other way. So you're spitting it out and then you're taking it in. And when you use those two pathways of out and in, you process the brain and you reorganize the way you think. And when you have more ordered thoughts, your brain works a lot better than when they're scattered thoughts. Scattered thoughts make you exhaust you because of the anxiety they create. So writing a journal um, every night is, is one great idea. Number seven of the eight is learning a new skill. When we learn something new, we have to use different parts of our brain. We have to lay down new neural pathways. And of course, that's tiring and it's difficult. But, you know, one of the quotes I heard recently is um, thinking is hard work. That's why so few people do it. And I thought that was pretty funny, but I think that's really the case, especially in the last year or two. Yeah, a lot of people just seem to not be able to think properly. And I think because it's hard work, if you're anxiety ridden, you might be already exhausted. So you want someone to do the thinking for you. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to learn something. It's another thing to analyze. It's another thing just to have someone think for you. I never really enjoyed someone doing the thinking for me because anytime that happened in my personal life, it didn't really work out for me. Um, so I like to think for myself and I encourage everybody to do that. I'm here to give you some ideas to run with. I'm not trying to think for you in these podcasts, right? But I want to give you stuff and then you go look it up and finish the thinking yourself. I just want to introduce you to stuff and, you know, pick through the thousands and hours of volumes of stuff that, um, and, and go with sources that, uh, that I can trust for everybody listening. But when you learn a new skill, you're going to build new neural pathways. A neural pathway is simple. It's any series of events that link one to the other. Driving a car, playing an instrument are all parts of new neural pathways. So when I first get in a car, the first time I ever did it, I was like, okay, gas, brake, steering, blinker, rear view mirror. And then all of a sudden you, you're driving a couple of years and you don't even realize you just drove home. You use all those things, but they're all in a very familiar Neuropath, it becomes reflexive. It's a learned behavior. Once you learn stuff, that brain really doesn't work so hard anymore. New things make it work harder. So challenge yourself with new ideas, whether it's like we said before, board games, but it can be just anything. Build a birdhouse, learn how to use a saw. It doesn't matter. Something new, something interesting. Uh, introduce that into your, into your day or at least once a week. Learn something new or build on a skill you already have. Um, that's going to stimulate the brain. And number eight, I just kind of said it a second ago, play an instrument. Um, I remember going to uh, one of my daughter's band recitals and uh, uh, the teacher got up and talked about how funding might be cut to schools and that that funding is, a, uh, is crucial and that learning and playing instruments and having kids play instruments is so important. And he was talking about how many parts of the brain have to be used to play an instrument, right? Because you're listening, so the ears are going. You're doing something physical to play that instrument and you're thinking about how you're doing it so you're coordinating your physical body and your mind and a lot of uh, the majority of your senses are being stimulated and that type of neuroprocessing that type of cognitive stimulation creates uh neural pathways and overall cognitive use so when you're using a good part of the brain at the same time it's another way of becoming more intelligent because you found ways of using more gray matter and coordinating all those things together okay so in review real quick, we want to exercise, we want to play games and puzzles, we want to stop using our cell phones to think for us, we want to do some meditation and mindfulness, we want to potentially get involved in some intermittent fasting, like starve the brain, you know, make sure you're, 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 you're capable of doing that physically, you know, diabetics and such, you don't want to do that kind of thing. Uh, keeping a journal so we're writing our thoughts down, learning new skills, and playing an instrument, and it's never too late to do that. Um, so those are the eight.